Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Arbor Vitae podcast, promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm one of your co-hosts, Adam Taylor, and today my fellow co-host, Jonathan Conrad, will be interviewing our very first featured craftsman, Mike Woods. We started the Featured Craftsman segment last episode to highlight some of the people who have inspired us to be virtuous in our work, and Mike really fits that description. Um, He's a sawyer in the Indianapolis area, and you can find him on Instagram at The Foresters Wood Co., or you can head on over to our website, arborvitaepodcast.com, and follow the link to him there. So now, without further ado, Jonathan Conrad and Mike Woods. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Basically, just want to have a candid conversation, you know, about your woodworking history, um, you know, how you got started, um, you know, some of your inspiration, and then talk a little bit about our next episode is is profit and and uh, justice. So talking about, you know, there's different types of woodworking. There's, you know, I'm a I'm a full time woodworker. I'm a I'm a hobbyist woodworker, or you know, in in think in your case is, you know, I'm, yes, maybe it's a hobby, right? But it's a second source of income and kind of, you know, get a feel for, you know, what's that like and, you know, how, you know, what role it plays in the family life and and those sorts of things. So that's what, that's what we wanted to cover. So I don't know if you wanted to kind of start with, you know, how you got into woodworking and, and, and also kind of how you got into the milling side of woodworking. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess when I when I went to college and went in for a forestry degree, about that time my dad had kind of semi-retired. Okay. And so I, my dad had worked for himself for his whole career, more or less. But when I went to school, he kind of semi-retired, but he was still goofing around with stuff, and he had a bobcat and was doing some asphalt work, and he needed an extra helping hand. So he hired a guy that had also done a lot of pallet work. So to keep him busy, when they weren't doing asphalt, they started doing pallets. And so as that progressed, that became a full-time thing for dad. And the pallets, I mean, you can either make a lot of, like the reconditioned pallets, you know, there's not a lot of uh, profit in them. And dad started searching, going and finding better avenues to, for, to make the, just better, better products with better profit margins to make, and what led what what that became was starting to resaw uh, camps from the sawmills that are like six by six uh, beams, and you'd resaw them into boards, but you could produce new new pallets instead of reconditioned pallets. And then he started getting into some crates and specialty shipping containers, huh. and it, in order to get that lumber and have a consistent source of it, and to get the specific sizes at a decent price, he went out and purchased a wood miser and an edger and some other equipment to go with it. Wow. So that he could build the specialty size pallets. And that was about the time I was still, every summer and, you know, Christmas break, whenever I was home, I was constantly helping him. So how old were you then? I was probably, I mean, I was 18 when I went to college, you know what I mean? So yeah. I was maybe 19, 20, but like I say, it didn't matter ever growing up. Old. I mean, dad always needed an extra hand for my brother and I. So after high school, there was two summers that I went to work for someone else just to 
go work for somebody else, you know, for the for a summer, you know what I mean? Um, right. And get out from under his wing, I guess. But otherwise, it was convenient. When I went home from college, you always had a job you could go do, and it was, and he always had plenty of work. So, oh, I bet. Um, after when he got the wood miser, and after I came home and didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew there was work there, and you know, I, I, I came home and was was doing it full time after after college. Okay. Um, I taken my degree and then minor and stuff that I'd gotten and started all the logs we were cutting up for pallet grade material. There's always one or two nice boards in that log, I guess, if you, if you it, when, when they get cut up, even right. though they're a really low-grade log. And so I started saving those off to the side, and then we went and built a kiln, and then it started to progress into the, you know, finding a little bit nicer logs, you know, a couple people clearing, clearing ditches that were close to us that Dad knew all sorts of people in, in the heavy equipment field, I guess, as, as far as dirt moving and, and everything related to that from his prior business. Um, so instead of them pushing them up and burning them, and, you know, and a lot of them turned out to be nice enough for saw logs and things like that and not go to pallets, and it kind of progressed from that, I guess. So Wow. So did he, obviously, he ended up doing this full-time also? Yeah, it turned into that. Okay. But you said he started doing asphalt? Uh, well, that was when he was kind of retired. He wanted something to tinker around I with. I gotcha. So, yeah, he was always in heavy equipment, and you know, I always grew up around bulldozers and heavy equipment and machinery and stuff, so. Okay. Now, what is, question. yeah, so what is your setup? Like, obviously, you're doing, this is not your full-time job now, right? You've got another You've got a full-time job, and then you're doing milling on the side. Yep, exactly. Okay. And what do you? So what are you doing full-time? Uh, I work at a steel mill. Okay. I'm the I'm a ladle crane operator. Okay. So I pick the ladle of steel up and kind of fly them where they need to go in the shop and whatever they need moved. So that's just a a boiling lava hot. I mean, it's literally just a. A cauldron of lava, right? Yeah, just, yeah, just about. Like it's a uh, hundred tons of liquid steel, and usually it's uh, it, it depends what where it's at in the process. But normally, you know, if it was right at the at the liquidest point, it would solidify. So it's usually superheated, right? A couple hundred degrees. So it's actually, you know, if the liquidus or the melting point, well, liquidus and melting point are different, kind of, but. Um, you know, they add an extra 300 degrees, so we're, yeah, the steel and the ladles are between, say, 2,700 to almost 3,000 degrees, somewhere in there. Jeez. So don't drop it. Yeah, that's, that's the only, that's the only major thing I have. Don't, don't drop it, don't spill it, or tip it over accidentally. <laughs> but I'm sure that's probably easier to do than you might think. I'm sure there's a lot of things that you can do to mess that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you have to be, you have to stay concentrated, and you don't always have a ladle in there necessarily. And there's other moves that we make, but yeah, yeah. that's one of them. When you go to pick a, a ladle up, you're, I mean, there's guys that are underneath you, right? When you're landing it, so I mean, every time you pick that up, you can't be spaced out, not paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's just 
I guess I, I, I take it pretty seriously anyway. So. Well, I'm I'm glad you do, and I'm sure the guys that are underneath <laughs> that also appreciate uh, your, yeah. your care and attention. I hope so. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so what, uh, so obviously you do milling, right? So what's your setup? What chainsaw do you have? We have a, a steel 880. Okay. And it's, uh, we have the, the Randberg Alaskan mill that we can cut. We can make a 51 inch wide cut with it. A 51 inch wide cut. Wow. With a chainsaw. Yep. Yep. And we have, a, we have a smaller bar. I think it does 35 inches or something, but we don't really use that too much when we get when they get smaller than that. It's it's usually more efficient, and easier to uh, cut them with a wood miser. Yeah. It so uh, really depends what the what the log looks like, and you know if you're going to try and, and cut the slabs and want the live edge, or if you want just regular four quarter or six quarter dimensional lumber. Okay. That's a lot of work pushing the chainsaw through the through that tree all, oh, all I bet. day long. So. How long did how long would you say it would take to like a a log that's you know a full width log for your chainsaw? How long would it take to you know let's say a, a, a you know a sixteen foot log or something? Um, or do you usually well, normally, do ten foot I, logs? I, I'm sorry, what's that? Do you usually do ten foot logs? Uh, eights or tens. Okay. And if it's you know if, it, if it's an uh, an interest interesting looking piece and it's four feet long but it's really wide but i think there's going to be something in there that's going to be interesting and i think it's something that i could sell or or, the, or that i would use yeah for like coffee tables or something but normally i try and i try and cut them about six or eight eight foot or ten foot okay but beggars can't be choosers and if i see a right. really nice walnut that was cut at five and a half feet I'm not going to just let it go because it's not long enough, so. Yeah. Makes sense. And so you do the milling, but then what else, like, you know, is that a majority of the woodworking that you do, or is that just a, you know, that's a piece of it where you do just as much actual project work? I would say that's, I probably do more of the cutting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've started drying, uh, chill drying, and, and I've always, when when I moved down around Indianapolis, I built a little kiln just for myself, just so I could dry my own wood. Because I didn't think I was ever I was gonna start doing trying to sell wood again. Mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna mess with it. Um, so I built a kiln, and now I've been keeping that busy just with smaller loads. That most big big places that do have a bigger kiln don't want to mess with a, a single individual. You know, they want to do a whole whole semi load when they do it. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I've been keeping that pretty busy. And then if I have any extra time, I always have probably five projects going in different stages that, that I, you know, I'm constantly working on. I, I, I prefer to do the, I guess I, I like, I like sawing and, and cutting open logs and seeing that and, and, and everything that goes with that. But I also like making things probably just as much, I suppose. Yeah. But it's usually, uh. I guess not having to, to make a project because somebody comes and says, I would like this made. Can you make this just how I, how I want it? You know, if I make my own projects and I can, I can try the, the things that I think look interesting and, and that I want to try and Absolutely. That I learn about. It's not like a commission piece usually where, I mean, if I, if I make it and someone would like to buy it, then that's all the better. But I try not to, 
take too many projects on where it's going to be followed somebody else's, you know, ideas. I think that probably yeah, keeps or, a lot of us out of full-time woodworking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, and a lot of the guys I talk to say, you know, the, you've got to be so specific with the client because you'll make something and then they say, well, that's, that's not really what I was thinking. And they're going, well, the piece of wood kind of dictated it needed to kind of go this direction. Right. And it's still really close to their initial thought, but, but a lot of people that, that aren't woodworkers and they say, I want this table, they have something in their mind, but they're not woodworkers and making it themselves and deal with that. So they're, it, it's a hard, I think it's a hard thing, at least for the people I talk to, that, you know, yeah. so that it sounds like they, they've gone back and redone things before just because the, their client wasn't, it wasn't what they envisioned, even right. though it's a gorgeous piece of woodwork. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and the the challenge there, right, is that, you know, in some regards, it's like I'm the client, right, and I'm paying good money for something, and I want it the way that I want it, um, yeah. and and so that it's just a, you know, there are there are men and women who do it professionally, they do it very well, they learn how to work with clients to anticipate their what they need and really what they're saying versus what's you know, what they really want versus what they're saying, because often those are two different things, right? They're not the pro. Um, yes, and, and, and they come with an idea, but they, yeah, it's, I, I think there's a, there's a fine line of, yeah, and, and, and until you're, until you have the, the name that uh, people say, well, I really want one of your tables, and you can just say, all right, well, I'll make you one, but I make whatever I want, and yeah. If you want one, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm booked up 18 months out, and I say, oh. Well, oh, then yeah, I really okay, want you know, one we, now. You make what you want. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, it's, I know there's, I mean, there's a, a couple of those guys out there that can get away with that. Yeah. So, so what? what's your, fa I mean, I, I know this is always hard for everybody, right? But if you had to pick one project that you've done that you're most proud of, or, or maybe, you know, maybe two, but. You know, that like you can remember and maybe it's one that you've done recently or maybe it's one you've done a long time ago, but where you're just like, I nailed that one. I, you know, and, and, you know, you just, you just love it and you, and you look, look back on it fondly. Uh, I don't think there's any. <laughs> no? I don't know if there's any project that I've just nailed it. Not, well, not some flaw in it. You know there's I mean? always a flaw, <laughs> but typically we're the only ones that see them. Exactly. And that's. It's hard to, yeah, no, yeah, it's stuff that, that nobody else notices or, or looks closely enough at necessarily, but yeah, they, they look nice, but I, I mean, I don't know, I've, I've built some, like a, a blanket chest okay. that, that we still have, that, that I mean, there, that, that was a big learning curve, but I usually dive into big projects before practicing specific joints, and I learn as I, as I go, I, I don't, I, I've never... Practice. Sometimes I'll practice things first. I don't have time for that either. Yeah, and it's you know if I goof it up, well, I guess I'll have to start over. But uh, I think going jumping into a, a project and and trying something new. I mean, you, you kind of figure out well, I goofed it up, and you figure out another way to make it work, and and maybe it doesn't go as planned, but it, when you still make it come out okay and, and look nice and. And even if you, I mean, there's some projects that I've gone from the plans and I kind of deviate from what the plan says, but it's, 
I think it looks a little better, whether it's, I mean, I've never, I, I guess I haven't designed uh, a lot of my own stuff, like using the golden rule and stuff on the, on drawer sizes and furniture and things like that. But I mean, I, I, I guess I, even if you get a plan out of like fine woodworking or something or, or woodworker's journal and you can, I mean, you don't have to follow that exactly how they build it. You can still deviate it, deviate from it. Well, yeah, draw inspiration from it. it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like mostly that's a lot of the stuff how that usually ends up. Right. After, over the course of time. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I have a, nice, a little corner table that I really like. And most of it is, uh, if I build something that's, I guess, I, I, cutting cutting the wood, it seems like I, I, I remember specific trees and, and memories attached to said tree or lumber. Right that I use on the projects, you know, if I find something that I really like the, the grain of the wood or the way it is, and I put it off to the side, and that's something that I want to use and make something out of, I guess I, I like the doing, I like being able to have the whole process in front of me and cutting the wood for the projects I make as opposed to necessarily going out and just going to the lumber shop or right. the lumber store. And, well, yeah, I can imagine that's got to be really own, rewarding. So, yeah, and... I've got just a little bit left, but like one of the little corner tables I made was we used to buy outs for pallets, and those are the like three common boards and really low grade lumber that they get sh that should get shipped off to the pallet mills. Mm -hmm. And we would resaw them in half to get you know five eighths inch hardwood boards. And one of the bundles we broke open once was this. I, I guess it's a bark inclusion in the maple. But it's really, really thick in the board, but it's considered a defect for grade lumber. And they threw all these boards that were just about not, they were not free hard maple, but they had these bark inclusions in them. And around all the bark is this kind of this pearly grain pattern to it. Wow. And so, I mean, there's probably 20 boards. Is that what you that gave was, me for those pocket crosses? I'm not sure if I gave you a, a piece of that. I know I had a, a little bit of a little piece of that left over. I can't remember which. Well, what you had given me was it was it was really curly maple, but it had a lot of gray in it. Um, what was it the color? I'll yeah. have to show you a piece of bark inclusion stuff. Okay. So, how has you know woodworking and milling as a you know as a side job? How has that impacted the family and you know what what role has the family played in that business as as because how many you've got four kids right yes um i guess it, it does take some time away here and there but with with the schedule with my job it's a little bit different than if i was working nine to five i think um because it, it for the, at the mill we run four days on and four days off okay so, so I have a, a, a big block where I'm home, and, and, and that's been one where when I, when I go to work at the steel mill, I'm usually gone. I may not see them during the days because they're usually in bed, but I'll see them in the morning real quick before they go to school and I have to go to work. Okay. But it's always just kind of been one of those, well, they have to work. That's what helps pay the bills and things of that nature. But I guess on, if I go out and cut wood, on one of my days off, or two days off, or however busy I am, whatever week, it still seems like there's a lot of time to, that I'm able to spend with the kids through the week, and we can 
go do things in the summer and more so than just being off on the weekends and then being busy, having to get everything done because you worked all week. If that makes sense at all. No, it does. I mean, um, it definitely does. And and a lot of the, you know, if I'm and if I'm too busy, then we have things going on. The, the family always comes first. If I plan out a, a day here and there that I know I need to go cut something, I mean, it's it's scheduled in. But you know, if the kids have baseball games or you know anything with with school or, or anywhere we're going as a family, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's always kind of a that comes first. So it's uh, good for you. If I'm too busy, I, I can't do it. And sorry, I can't get your glove cut till two weeks from now. It's and, it, and if I lose business because because of it, it's kind of nice that I have a full time job. I do this because I like it and enjoy it. And I don't. I, it, it, it it needs to make money and pay for itself. But also, then again, I don't need it to necessarily pay the bills. Right. You know what I mean. So there's a. It's a good hobby, and, it, and it's. I'm not a big uh, sports fan, so I don't. I like I hear who wins and who who lost or whatever, but I don't necessarily sit and watch football for the whole day. Right. It's just that I'd rather go outside and tinker around, or and it's and it's one of them. You know, when I was growing up with my with my dad, we always went with him, and I remember sitting on the bulldozer and going to jobs and, and having to go with him for you know for a Saturday to go check things while he was taking care of his business and my brother and I'd have to go with him. And I, I always looking back on that. I learned an awful lot. So I'm, I like, have, I like doing stuff like this, that I can take the kids with me and we can go pick up a log and, you know, even winching on the trailer, it's usually turns out to be a, uh, I keep telling them, I'll, I'll tell them things 20 times. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I, I said, just bear with me. I'm going to tell, tell you this every time because it's something that you could get hurt from. But down the road, even when you are when you leave home and you have a job, no matter what job you have, hopefully this something will go ring in your head and you'll go, that's it, don't stand between the cable and the trailer or something, you know. And, right. And, it, and, and hopefully down the road it's something that they'll, they'll remember and say, oh, yeah. Let's be honest, don't kids remember. don't listen. What's that? Kids don't listen. At least mine don't. <laughs> no, they, they don't listen. But but after about being with me, they're, they're starting to pick it up. And, and I still have to remind them and tell them when they get all excited and they want to run around. But hopefully it's one of those, you know, they, they go with me and they see it. And the, the whole being safe and, and uh, learning how to maneuver things and make it happen, like getting a log on the trailer that's too big and they can... You know, I, I, I try and stop and explain what I'm doing or while I'm doing it. And hopefully over, I mean, they're not going to learn it the first time, but it's, they can constantly go with me and they're exposed to it. It's, I think it's something that down the road when they grow up, they'll hopefully they'll remember a lot of that and say, oh, yeah, we always went with Dad and helped him out. And maybe you know, hopefully it'll keep them from losing a finger or hurting themselves badly, you know, even at work like when I work at the steel mill. I wouldn't be near as confident had I not been around the heavy equipment with my dad and he was always saying, you know, you got to watch this, you got to be careful with this, this type of stuff can happen, so. Well, that's how we used to learn is being with our, I mean, especially men, right, being with our dads in their line of work and, yeah. you know, learning whatever trade that, you know, that's why trades used to be a generational thing, like, 
my dad taught me how to do this and his dad taught him and his dad taught him. Um, and that's what I think that's, that's what's beautiful about woodworking is that even if it's not your full-time job, it's a, it's a skill that you can pass on to your, like my grandfather taught me, you know, my dad taught me plenty of things. Um, you know, he's an engineer and he taught me how to, how to build, how to problem solve. Um, but my grandfather is really the one that taught me woodworking. And it's like, I'm going to pass that on to at least one of my kids, you know, if, if I get one of the three of them to love woodworking, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, that's even, like, when we go down to the shop, I might have to, if I, you know, if it's in, in the afternoon after they get off school, and I, or I'm waiting for them to get home from school, and I'm just finishing up, they always say, well, can we make this? And it's always something crazy, like, they want, I, half the time it's something that, man, we can't start this today, there's not enough time. Right. And then it's, it's, oh, just be, it'd be real easy. I, you just got to make me some wheels and, and build a motor and I'll have a car for myself or something. You know, so <laughs> I'm going, well, just hold on. We'll have to think about this here for a second before we start our project. But, but a lot of times, like, you know, the kids always like me to cut animal shapes or something out of some scrap wood. And they always want to watch the bandsaw cut. And, you know, one of my daughters always wants, wants me to make flowers or butterflies for them. And so... I mean, I always try and, as long as we have time and we don't have to hurry up and get somewhere to eat, I always try and take the time to, uh, you know, make something with them and, and say, well, you guys draw this out, I'll cut it out, and, and you watch me, and, you know, we, and then it all turns back into, well, you need to have your hearing protection on, they all, right. they've got their earmuffs that they all have, and they've got their safety glasses, and and, I say, and then you got to watch out when you're cutting with the bandsaw, don't push your finger towards the blade and stuff like that but we make something for them and then they they always want a piece of sandpaper and they start sanding on it and, and then they can color it and I, I, it's, it's a getting, getting them excited even over a little project I think is important for down the road that you know that's what's gonna I, mean, I try not to shoot them away and say no 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 this I'm busy get away from it you know right it's one of them when you have little kids you've got to take the time and say I mean, even with, like, your hand planes. I mean, I'm sure your kids have wanted to try and push the hand plane over a board before. And it might not be, like, hold on, let me get a scrap piece of wood for you and we can try it on that and just go crazy, you know? It's, but, that, but, I mean, yeah, that's like you say, that's how you learn. And, and hopefully they'll, they'll become interested in it by being able to do it even and you're also, a little at a time. you're also teaching them creativity and just the – and giving them confidence that if they want something, they don't have to go buy it. They can make it. Well, it, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly true. I mean, then, then half the time I get so busy, I mean, like I made some cutting boards and some spoons and the kids seen that. They, they were like, one of the girls, well, I want to make a spoon. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not turning you loose with the, with the chisels yet, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get there. We, we can cut a spoon out. We can, kind of sand on it and then she wanted to see how the lathe worked the other day so we kind of turned the spindle and didn't really make anything so to speak but I kind of held the, the tool and I could watch somebody use a lathe for hours yeah and it's fun and she was all all excited wanted to see you know well how do you how do you do that so it was you know I didn't walk away from her by any means but I let her hold the tool and of course I was still holding it so it wouldn't 
catch or flip out or anything, but she could feel it cutting into the wood, you know, and she was all sorts of excited and happy. And we had just a, a spindle with some grooves cut in it, but she was carried that up to the house and, you know, so proud of it. So, I mean, that, that's what's exciting, having the kids and exposing them to that. And, and they're still, mine are still pretty young, so it's, can't let them use the saws, but hopefully when that day comes, they'll, they'll, Come, come, come to me with projects and say, can we make a, a box or can we start out here and, and start making this, hopefully, so. Yeah. Well, this is, re I mean, I could have these types of conversations for hours. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, you know, you shared a lot of really awesome stories and experiences in woodworking and how it's impacted your life and the life of your family. The last question I have for you is when you think about profit, and, and, you know, profit and reward, right? What's the most rewarding part of woodworking for you? I mean, it sounds like it's certainly not the money, right? Because you're, what you mentioned was it's not, it's not paying the bills. You could make it pay the bills, but it's not, right? Because you talked about family being a priority over woodworking. Um, so for you, what's the most profitable, rewarding aspect of your uh, you know, your passion for woodworking? Uh, honestly, I, I, I kind of like, uh, I don't know. I think it's always been uh, kind of exciting to uh, be the one that gets to make the decision on, on how the log gets cut and knowing, having seen enough, enough logs cut up that I have a pretty good idea what should be in there and, and when you cut it open and, and you actually, it came out, how you were expecting or even better and you found something that was just gorgeous when, when the logs cut open. Um, I like, I like seeing that, that being one that gets to go find the, the log laying in a pile somewhere and, and, and saying, yep, that's the one I want. That's, that's, that one will be pretty neat when I get it cut open. And then especially seeing it with just not me making something from it, but, Especially now, more so that um, you know, since I started cutting slabs, a lot of the people I get to see what they turn that piece of wood into. But it was the the same thing that I thought I would make into it, or it's something completely different. But getting to see some of the, the lumber that I've cut made into something down down the road, you know, what I mean, that's, that's, that's gorgeous and absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's their own idea. So I, I guess I like that that process as much as I do making a, a table for myself or something, but that's the whole cutting that log open for the first time. And, you know, some of them, they just look plain and, but you kind of expect that. But sometimes you find that, that diamond in the rough that's, you open it up and you go, holy cow, I never expected to see this crazy grain going like this. And, and then you, your brain explodes with, a million ideas of man, if you could make this out of it, or if you, if it got turned into this, or I mean, that's that's very exciting, and especially salvaging logs and stuff. Like most of the most of the stuff I did is all, you know, it's going to be cut for firewood or something. Right. What a tragedy. Or, or being able to find like there's, I have a a, a big walnut that uh, you know if if somebody else would have would have bought it it was going to be turned into I can't imagine it go for be turned into slabs or something but I was able to, to purchase it from the guy that's a giant 
monster of a beast. So I think just if it all turns out okay and it's if it looks like I think it hopefully it should, it's gonna be pretty neat slabs and big old tabletops and not just cut into six inch four quarter lumber. Right. You know what I mean? So that's I mean I, that's that's pretty exciting when you can find something like that and and have the the decision of what it's gonna get cut into eventually. Well, I never thought of it that way, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a Sawyer, not only are you being able to go from tree to finished product, but you also, even if you don't build something, you get to see, you cut a log down, you know, either, you, whether you cut the tree down or not, right? You turned it into a board and somebody else turned it into a piece of furniture. And it's like that work, you know, where you have a personal attachment to that lumber turns into something you know, that lives on, like, I'm about ready to finish up the hickory beds, you know, for the twins, yep. and that's a log that I got from you, and yep. it was, you know, it was a log that was warped and twisted, because it was all, you know, it had a whole bunch of tension in it, but I didn't need thick stock out of it, I just needed a bunch of thin pieces, and yep. so it was a perfect, it's got a ton of character, um, and these beds are going to last, you know, hopefully generations. Yeah, exactly, and that's what's, when I, even when I first started out, I always, when guys come out and buy stuff, I'd always, and this was even before iPhones and things like that, I'd always say, oh, send me a picture or, or something, or tell me what you ended up making with it, and, I, and I'm sure most stuff is like anybody else, you, you might go buy it, and then, you know, if it takes a year to, to make the finished product or even get started on it, because they're like me, and I, I buy something, I throw it off in the corner, and Yep, I got the perfect project for that. I'll get to it here soon. But, you know, half the time, nobody, you'd never hear what happened to it or, you know, if, if, if they, they were a well, one-time customer and, and I might not see them again for two years or something. But now with, like, Instagram, a lot of the guys that come out, you actually get to see the see them building it and in the process, and then I get to see what they, their ideas that they came up with for that piece of wood, whether it was anything remotely the same as what I had in mind. Right. But, I mean, that's 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 kind of fun, too. That's I, I like that aspect of it. Well, so. and I mean, I can imagine, right, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't get as much exposure to what happened after you sold the log as you, as you do now with Instagram. No, not, not at all. And, and especially, you know, if I talk to people, and they... It's easy to, to text a photo now. Right. They can say, hey, I, and even some of the people that aren't, that aren't on Instagram, at least, you know, I always ask them, and about, you know, some people don't. They, like, there's some people that, that I had sold some, some walnut for stair treads to them, and I said, man, I really, and they were telling me about their house that they were refinishing and, and adding barn beams to it and, and all this stuff and it sounded really cool I don't know I assume they eventually got their hair treads put in but I said well, well send me a text me a picture send me a picture when you get this all done I'd love to see it you know that's like one of them that I'd never heard from again but I mean it's it's still not a big deal but it sounded like the wood was at least going into a pretty neat uh, right. application you know what I mean so that's I mean that's always fun to, to hear what their plans are for it I guess anyway right. so well, it's kind of one of those things. It's like you can't possibly use all of the lumber that you mill, and so it's nice that you know it can, 
you know, even if you're not going to be able to use it, somebody else is. And I would, I would guess, right, that probably a lot of your clients, you know, they, like, I, I, you know, for me, the reason I wanted to get lumber from you, and honestly, I don't know if I'm going to get lumber anywhere else moving forward, like, it is way cooler to get lumber from you than it is to go to the lumber store. You know, yeah, even if I talk here, talk your ear off. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I that's the that's what I love about it. You know, it's yeah, and it's the way it and used to be. Yeah, when people are, are are coming out to to look for something, they you know start talking to them and ask them, well, "What exactly do you do?" And and that's like with you, like you you aren't looking you aren't looking for like a great big slab or anything. You're saying, you know, I need this one. I make I need a a, a, a five inch piece. Of, of this, it looks really cool. And I start thinking, oh, well, and I go dig in the corner and pull out a box and, oh, well, here, yeah, this, this would be pretty neat. This some of, and, I, and I can't hardly throw some of those pieces away or even the wood away because it's, you know, it's always seems beautiful. And especially some of those little pieces that, that you get and you can cut out of the scrap and they don't turn into slabs, but it's still... You know, like those little curly, curly pieces that that I take them to you. Right. They, uh, I mean, in the and for what they turned into, I mean that that doesn't get any better than that. To, no. To the whole process of, uh, of that, and, and and I had no idea what I was going to use those for when I cut them. But I oh, I would have saved those pieces. Those are pieces where it's like even if they never get used, you you just like you you got to save them. <laughs> Yeah, some of it's just as fun to, to look at and think, geez, how in the world that grow like that, right? I know. Well, Mike, this has been I wonderful. I really appreciate your time. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and uh, you know, I look forward to incorporating it into the episode as well as, you know, like I said, I want people to see the personal side of woodworking that you don't necessarily get to see on Instagram. Um, yeah. But I also, it's almost like I want to encourage people to start building these types of relationships with like there are woodworkers everywhere yeah and it's like if you think that there aren't it's because you're not looking hard enough like i thought that i was alone in indianapolis i didn't think there were other woodworkers in india and then all of a sudden i get on instagram and slowly but surely people just stop popping up out of the woodworks like guys wood shop you know he's on youtube right um yep. and he's he was wearing a cult shirt and i was like I suspect that he's in Indianapolis and I messaged him and of course he is. And I was over at his shop a couple of weeks ago and he spent like four hours helping me um, get the vertical slats on the bunk or on the twin beds assembled. And it's like, you know, there's, there aren't other communities quite like it, you know, quite like the woodworking community. And as much as I hate Facebook who owns Instagram, <laughs> I yeah. have been very, very, very grateful and blessed with all of the, you know, the relationships um, that have come from Instagram. Obviously, this one being, you know, a perfect example. The guy I'm doing the podcast with, Adam, he's I, he he reached out to me on Instagram because he had been yep. talking to his brother about starting a podcast, and um, his brother's gotten really busy with work and didn't really have the time to commit to it, and he was like. He reached out to me because we met on Instagram, and it's been, it's just been great. Um, so I really appreciate this time. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, 
Really appreciate your time, Mike. No, not a, not a problem. Happy, happy to, to talk to you. So. All right. Well, have a good night. Thanks so much. All right. Yeah, thank you. All right, bye.